Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. The power doesn't make people power hungry. Their childhood does. Their insecurities do. So they have to address that so they can become someone worthy of following. And all that could be completely wrong. I don't know. It makes sense to me, so I'm going with it. If it makes sense to you, go with it. If it doesn't, go with something else. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from Clear and Open. Having a vision as a leader is one thing, but successful leaders need to inspire others to invest in that vision as well. To do that, you need to prove to them, through words as well as actions, that your vision serves their own best self-interest. Feeling as if you know what's best for others can be uncomfortable at first, but it must be embraced. As long as you hold that what you're doing, your vision, is the right thing, and allow space for others to think you're wrong and express themselves, you can become someone worth following. This series is excerpted from my online course called Essential Leadership Processes, which you can find at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click a link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. And I highly recommend the sat song for everyone who uh, is interested in that. One of the things that I struggle with is, so I've got my vision. My vision must necessarily involve other souls. So what about the, and you said, talked about having A players and earning A players. So how, do, how does that work? Like, especially as we're doing it, like we're creating this vision and isolation. And then the larger the company, the more people have to buy into that. So I'm just how, how and why should people buy into your vision? Is that the question? Yeah, well, how, yes. Why, I get but how is the uh-huh. question? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's very relevant. I'm glad, glad you brought it. Um, yeah, I've got probably just enough time to talk about this. So, first of all, do not share your vision with people until it's done. Like followers, people, until it's done. How do you know it's done? Well, I certainly can help with that. Uh, but uh, you know it's done when you know it's done. Let's assume you know when it's done. When you've followed instructions, when you've gone through the process, let's assume you know when that's done. It'll change down the road, but it's done as much as it possibly can be done. When you share your vision with people, and we're going to use this in the the case of um, employees, but it can be, you know, even if you have a life vision that's going to involve other people somehow that you're going to want to um, uh, support it somehow or be involved in it. What you want to access is self-interest. Gone are the days 
of people requiring people or calling for people to give up their self-interest in some ways and self and sacrifice for some larger vision. That worked in a particular time in history that I would say is now over. One of the key evidences of this is that younger generations are just born somehow with a lot more self-interest than the older generations were. Uh, The shadow side of that is often entitlement, but the light side of that is that they're no longer sacrifice-oriented, which is uh, an older, less evolved way of being that was required for the survival of our species. It was more of a tribal mentality, a collectivistic mentality. So uh, remember when I talked about, well, still the words still ring in my ears when Michael Gerber spoke to a group of us Emeth employees and he was talking about the vision and he kept saying, do you see opportunity for yourself here? Where will you be on this org chart? And I left that meeting with a particular position that I wanted to have. And so the nuts and bolts of it in a business is that when your vision is done, you share it with the whole company in a compelling way. And then afterwards, within 10 days, certainly within two weeks, you want every manager meeting with every one of their direct reports, asking them and drilling down into that question. How did you react to hearing the vision? And what's in it for you? And you accept no stock language, vagary, bullshit as an answer. You keep asking that question until they convince you that it's in their self-interest to make the company's vision come true. For whatever reason it is. I mean, within reason. But in other words, if you think about it as uh, the metaphor I like to use is... um. Think about it, in feudal times, there would be a kingdom, right? Big old kingdom, walls around whatever, 5,000 acres to keep all the invaders out. But then inside that kingdom, even though the king and the queen, if there is one, uh, owns that land and has absolute authority, there are people who have own parts of the land or at least are allowed to use part of that land. And there are sections of that divided up. And so the In this picture, the king slash queen is the owner of the business, and the lower classes are employees at whatever level. So a uh, a commoner, or whatever it would be, a non-king or queen, a non-royalty person, can go approach the king slash queen and say, I would like to take these 20 acres and grow grapes on them. And here's my plan. This is what I want to do. And then the king slash queen says, yes, that fits into the overall vision of what we're doing here. But if they say, I want to grow okra, the king slash queen may say, well, we hate okra. That does not fit into the vision. No, you may not do that. But we'd love for you to develop some land, but it has to be something that fits into the overall uh, vision. And this is a fruit kingdom, not a vegetable kingdom. Too bad. Right? So where does that authority come from, though? God. No, just kidding. (laughs) Back then it did. Back then it did. The divine right of kings and queens, however, is almost over. Some people, some people are still clinging to it. The authority now comes from that it's your business and you've put in the risk. You are the plow of the ship. And so it's a non-victimhood state of affairs that says, 
look, you're on the outside walls. You want the benefits of the protection of this kingdom, the infrastructure, the roads, and we've attracted blacksmiths and swordsmiths and all sorts of cool people with resonant values. You'd love to live here. Great. But you can't just do whatever you want. We got a set of laws here. You can't behave however you want, you know. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Go make your own kingdom. Start your own business. This is mine. This is the same thing you tell your teenagers when they live in your house. Look, when you're grown up, you can do whatever you want. But when you live in my house, there are rules. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree. But you must abide by it. That authority comes from, best said, it comes from responsibility. Because the king slash queen, they're responsible for the welfare of everybody there. It's a benevolent dictatorship, which I would argue is the best form of government. But that's a whole other conversation because it's very difficult to find, to get someone who would actually qualify as benevolent. Very difficult indeed. Does that answer the question? Sort of. I mean, it seems to, it assumes that hierarchies are required to run an organization, which I'm, I'm not sure. Intuitively, I don't want to believe that. Yes, Maria. And now then the question is, why not? I'm asking myself that often. Because for you, I know you well enough to say this, and I know you know this, a part of you has a resistance to hierarchy that is, in my opinion, not resonant with reality. Hierarchy is just a part of reality. And one day, one life, you're going to have to face that and really dig and find out what it's about. It, it may not be pressing in your immediate future, but it's, you're going to have to deal with it eventually. Maybe this is the time. Perhaps. It's up to you. So one more, I just want to make a one more pass at this, uh, this kingdom queendom thing. That's how you want to relate to employees is they have free will inside the parameters that you give them. And we're going to hopefully I'll remember to talk about this again, when we get to position agreements, because the position agreement is the boundaries of, okay, you get to grow grapes. Here's the kind of grapes. Here's the results. Here's what we're going to do with the grapes. All of those parameters. And then they're free inside those parameters to own that job. But they must be um, disabused of any notion that they own the place. That, That position that they have, they are leasing from you. And they get to have all the benefits of the infrastructure of the business and your guidance as king slash queen, et cetera, et cetera. But many people are confused, especially these days. They think that they're, um, that the business is a democracy. And this is aided and abetted very often by owners who are averse to hierarchy because they don't want to own their own authority. And they want to level the playing field so as not to inhabit their own authority in order to be liked, whatever that may be. There's a bunch of stuff there. Because being an authority, newsflash, it's not all glamour. It's uncomfortable. Being an authority over someone is uncomfortable. You get all of their authority projections. You have to deal with all of that stuff. You have to hold them accountable. You have to have difficult conversations. That's not always fun. 
but it's part of the job. So many people will try to flatten the authority gradient. A lot of parents do this with kids. Like when a parent says, oh, my son or daughter, they're like a friend to me. You ought to wince when you hear that because they're flattening the authority dynamic, which is better than you know making their parent call them sir or ma'am or something, which you know used to happen. But now the pendulum swung too far the other way and people friend eyes with their children and don't realize the impact that has on them. It has an impact. Very often, like you'll see this where a parent will use one of their children as a confidant of sorts to talk about with their kid, like what isn't working in their romantic relationship. And this has the, um, it has a dual effect. It causes the kid to grow up faster and the kid sort of puffs up. It's like, wow, I must be mature and important because my parent is confiding, confiding in me in this way. But it causes them to lose an aspect of their childhood because they grow up too fast. And then they have unmet dependent needs that end up showing up as codependent needs as adults. So all of that is to say authority is uncomfortable. I know. Face it and see what that discomfort is actually about so you can work it out. Because authority is, anytime you take responsibility, you end up with authority. You don't want to... I have a, go ahead. Sorry. I have Please. a quick paradigmatic question about this. So um, hearing you say or talk in the way that you do about this uh, in terms of like authority and the necessity of authority chafes probably with the conditioning that I have as somebody in this generation and at risk of coming off in a certain way, it seems kind of like, like we're a bunch of privileged, mostly white people sitting around here and then saying that authority is like legitimate and the way that it is meant to be like, it seems like everything, my perspective is that it exists in a historical context and the historical foundations of authority are eroding. Like, all of the things that authority has been based off of, the biggest one being the divine right of kings, are just like have fallen apart over the last 300 years. And that's why authority, like authority as a concept, is being shown as bankrupt on the basis that it exists now. And one thing that I really respect about this is that this is a healthier, like, way to relate to it. But still, I don't know. I guess my question is like, are you sure that authority <laughs> is necessarily the way it has to be? I'm not sure about anything, Zach, but I, I love the question and I, I'd answer it this way. Um, and if anybody has to go, I know we're at time. That's fine. Um, we'll take two, three more minutes. Uh, yes, authority has, for the most part, been expressed very, very badly. But that doesn't mean that authority as a concept isn't true. Just because something expresses corruptly and badly, the what's happening is the the it's the same thing with objectivism versus subjectivism. Just because the idea that there's objectively true aspects of reality was so deeply abused by the Catholic Church, for example, it resulted in torture and killings, doesn't mean there's not true aspects of reality. Right? The same way, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean someone isn't out to get you. You know? So we have to carefully separate the two. Yes, authority is revealing itself in our world in its corruption more than ever before, perhaps, such that 
We have presidents inviting foreign countries to interfere with uh, elections on national television. Like, that's quite revelatory. But that does not mean that all authority is bad. It just means that it cannot be executed in that poor way anymore. And so one of the ways I'm offering, one of the principles of clean leadership, clean authority, is that clean authority supports from underneath and accesses healthy self-interests of other people. If you can show me a corrupt politician who really did that, I'd love to hear about it. Because corrupt politicians, they make it sound like they're appealing to your self-interest, but they don't actually behave that way. And so we have very few examples, if any, of real benevolent dictators in our world. We mostly have examples of people who abuse the power while trying to actually look that way. So it's it's hard to uh, imagine, um, but it does exist. I try to template that. I hold a certain level of authority here. I'm going to tell you and have told you whether your language is stock or not, whether your vision is successful or not. I'm standing in an authority when I give you that feedback, but it's here to help you. It's here to help you. And um, if I were to stand in no authority, authority whatsoever, it would look very different. I would say, well, your vision is your vision. If that feels good to you, then go with it. That's no authority. And then most of you would have crappy visions that won't help and they wouldn't put you through a process. You see? So there has to be some authority edge that says, I know better than you in this specific way. Maybe I could be wrong. Let me see how I can help. But as long as there's a hierarchy of responsibility, there always will will be a hierarchy of authority. You see, one person has to hold, this is the goal of the kingdom queendom. These are the goals of the business. One person has to hold all of that and it's divided into pieces. And so the person who is responsible for the most automatically has the most authority. In essence, in expression that can express corruptly or cleanly, depending on the health of the individual. But because we've only ever experienced unhealthy individuals, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and quote Lord Acton who says, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Wait, the power corrupts? How does that work? Like the money makes you greedy? How does that work? Well, let's get rid of money. It makes people greedy. No, the greed's already there. The abusiveness with power is already there. You see? But of course, people are all free to try to create circular organizations with no offices. And, you know, they try that. And what what ends up happening? The hierarchies emerge anyway. So in our history right now, in the history of consciousness, what's happening is people are subjectively trying to reduce authority dynamics in order to solve abuse of authority problems. Good luck with that. When you fail, come talk to me. Because it, it doesn't work. It will help some of the situation, but it won't work because the abuse of power is a psycho-emotional, psycho-spiritual issue, not a structural one. The power doesn't make people power-hungry. Their childhood does. Their insecurities do. So they have to address that so they can become someone worthy of following. That makes sense. And all that could be completely wrong. I don't know. It makes sense to me, so I'm going with it. If it makes sense to you, go with it. If it doesn't, go with something else. 
Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.